And I had a manager at the time. I told her, I was like, you know, like, I think writing could be another path for me. And I really would like to write a book. And she goes, well, you're not famous. So no one would ever want to read a book by you. Oh, my. And I was thought. Okay, well, yeah, there are a ton of non-famous white guys who have books about nothing. I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and the free information I found on the internet. In the 15 years that I've been building and scaling my company, I have become deeply passionate about helping other entrepreneurs to do the same. So each week, I'll be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life and your business. This is The Rise Podcast. I'm so excited to hang out with you, man. I dreamed last night about our hangout session today. I know. It was a good dream. It was a good dream. (laughs) We talked about all sorts of great things. But for listeners who are not already familiar, will you tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are? Okay. My name is Phoebe Robinson. Um, If you recognize the name, it might be from Two Dope Queens, the podcast I did with Jessica Williams for four seasons, and then two seasons of HBO specials. Um, also wrote two books. Mm-hmm. You can't touch my hair and everything. And everything's trash, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have another podcast that's currently on hiatus called So Many White Guys because there were just so many white guys in podcasting. So I wanted to flip the numbers. And Girl, just, yes. yes yeah, yes, that's, yeah, why, yeah, yeah. that's why I got into mm-hmm. this was I kept saying everything I know about business I taught myself, like mm-hmm. Google or YouTube or whatever, and I just got so tired of, man, where, I know there are women yeah. who are leading in business. Why can't I hear their stories or why aren't they being interviewed? And after complaining about it for two years, I was finally like, okay, I'll just try. Yeah. So that's where this came <laughs> from. Sorry, I didn't mean to try. Oh, uh, no. But yeah, I'm uh, 34 uh, from Cleveland, Ohio, massive U2 fan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what else? What else? What else? Um, all my family's back in Cleveland. Yeah. I have a boyfriend of two years. I call him British Bake Off because he doesn't want people to know his real name because he works in music and he just doesn't want to be like. I wondered yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, I've yeah. seen it on Instagram. I'm yeah. like, what's the deal here? Yeah. But he's amazing. He's, um, he's a tour manager for the Lumineers. So he's on the oh, road with them rad. right now. Oh, yeah. rad. I love the Lumineers. Yeah. Great. They just dropped their album today. Oh, so cool. I'll go listen. Very busy couple of weeks for them. Um, yeah. That's, that's awesome. kind of like the. And so would you describe, like, when you were deciding what career you Mm -hmm. wanted to take, would you describe yourself as a comedian, a writer? Like, how did you envision what you were going to become? Um, Honestly, I didn't want to be in comedy. I used to watch a lot of, I mean, I watched, you know, In Living Colors, Seinfeld, all that stuff growing up. But I wanted to write serious dramas. Like, I thought that that was going to be my path. Yeah, How funny. I know. And, um... I never really performed much when I was a kid. Uh, I did improv and formally in college. And I thought that was fun. But, you know, I was sort of like, okay, I'm graduating. So now I'm going to be working in a film company and just work my way up. Um, and my friend Lindsay Newis, this was 2008. She wanted to take a stand-up class at Caroline's Comedy Club in Manhattan. And I was just thinking, you know... Stand-up is kind of lame. <laughs> I was like, no one makes a living at it. 
LOL, like a lot yeah. of people do. Yeah. Um, and she just said, you know, you don't like your day job. Why don't you just give us a try? It's eight weeks. It'll be really fun distraction. I said, okay. And I ended up falling in love with it. And I thought, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, so I'll just figure it out. So yeah. that's 2008 is when I really started watching specials and sort of learning how to write jokes and really doing the comedy college stuff and just cramming everything in. And yeah, that what is everything. that process like to write a joke for you? Um, gosh, okay, so. <laughs> When I first started doing stand-up, it was very, you know, even doing five minutes on stage was just sort of terrifying. So I write everything out, and then I would just sort of stand in front of a mirror, and I would rehearse everything, even the, how's it going, guys? <laughs> Great drink. Like, everything. Pause for... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, it's so real, though. Yeah, that's, that's how you learn. Yeah, and I was just so sort of dorky, so I, I really would just really try to memorize every single thing. And now... I'm about 11 years in, so it's a lot of, I will have an idea for a joke, maybe write down a few lines, and then sort of talk it out on stage to see if there's a little, like, kernel of something, and then I'll go back home and really sit down and punch it up and expand. Like, I have this joke that I'm working on right now that started out being, like, two minutes long, and now it's, like, 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's That's just, amazing. Yeah, it's a joke I've been working on for, I don't know... Uh, four months and yeah. it's really just expanded and yeah. It's interesting because I don't know if people outside of the comedy space would understand mm -hmm. how much effort will go into a single joke. Yeah. I mean, obviously your, your special or if you're do anything that you're doing in the comedic arena is just a series of those tiny little, like it's very granular how mm -hmm. you figure out, how do you know once you, I'm just going to be a nerd and ask yeah. you all the questions, but how do you know once you have a joke, how do you even know like the order of those or how to stack them on top of each other? Or is there, you know, is there a narrative that you're trying to get yeah. to? Or is it just sort of like, here's Here's all the things. Yeah, I mean, I think, so the way that, you know, I've been doing comedies, you do a lot of club spots that are 15, 20 minutes. Um, and then if you do indie rooms, it's maybe 10 minutes. So you could sort of build these little chunks. And then now that I'm doing the, the club tour and stuff, I have the hour, you know, I've sort of, changed around the order of stuff and I think I've got it to flow better but it's a lot of trial by error mm -hmm. and sometimes you're you're going okay maybe it's too early to talk to make a sex joke I'll move it to like the latter half hour and it, it works better so mm -hmm. I think you just have to sort of figure it out and the audience kind of lets you know when they're ready or not yeah. ready or something or you might think oh this is a great connector I can move this joke up and bridge it with that and yeah got it yeah. I, I think there's something really cool I'm guessing the level of humility that you have to have to be mm -hmm. a comedian because you're going to bomb a lot when you're trying stuff yeah. out, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's it. And I was talking about this with a couple comedic or comedy friends of mine is that we're in a very interesting sort of place with comedy because it's everywhere. It's on Netflix, Comedy Central, HBO. People go to clubs and they only want to hear the A material because they're just used to seeing all these specials. And it's sort of, well, you're only going to get the A material if you try and fail and sort of fumble and figure it out. Um, so it's really sort of trying to manage everyone's expectations and also not being afraid of not having a good set. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you just have to sort of understand some nights are going to be great. Other nights are not going to be that 
good. I just came back from Scotland. I did the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for two weeks, which I fully hated. But I was gonna say, what yeah. was that? How I was just gonna ask, yeah, how it changes based on the city that you're in. Yeah, I mean, it was just me performing for a lot of old white men, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this isn't for yeah. you. I yeah. don't. I'm not trying. You know what this I mean? Is not gonna resonate. Yeah. yeah, but there was something about every single night I would get up and do the hour, and you sort of. I just sort of got kind of numb to the, the UK people don't respond to jokes the way the Americans are. Yeah. Like, we're much more, you know, yeah. boisterous. And yeah. They would be like, oh, that was funny. Yeah. But they had a great time. They, yeah. like, loved it. Yeah. But they're not super expressive. Um, but there was something about getting up, you know, 14 nights in a row running the hour that really sort of, it was this weird thing where it kind of felt like Groundhog's Day, but it sort of felt like... Doing it that much sort of got got it better faster. Yeah. I don't know. It was really, really interesting and yeah. cool. I don't know if I would do it again, but it was but a But what fun, a great challenge for yeah, yourself. It was a good thought experiment. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's been an interesting thing for me in the last year. I've spoken so much. I we're, was super overbooked this year. And when you're doing something over and over and over, and maybe every opportunity isn't what you would hope it would be, that you have to find kind of a why within yourself because mm-hmm. it, it's not about what you're going to get out of this room or this it's the like you got to find a deeper meaning to show up and be like as good as you can be even though you know this is not going to go the way that you wanted it to yeah are there cities in the u.s that you're like because i have cities in my mind that i'm like no matter what you bring out when yeah. i'm doing like let's say motivational speaking there are just certain cities where it just falls flat and so yeah. if there's an opportunity to go there, I'm like, I'm probably not the right speaker for your thing because mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Do, do you feel like there are cities where like yeah. it's funnier than others? I feel Boston is probably one of my favorite cities to perform. I started performing in Boston maybe 2009, 2010. I would take the... Bolt bus, one dollar. I wait till there's like a one dollar ticket, and because I, you know, I was so broke, yeah. and I would stay on a friend's couch, and then I would go and do these little show. I, I would do shows in a hotel lobby, in a Chinese restaurant, really just not glamorous yeah. at all. Um, so Boston's always been very good to me. San Francisco's been great. Chicago, oh my god, I love Chicago so much. It's such a great city. They all, they're just such a comedy town. Yeah. Um. Madison is really cool too. Oh wow. Yeah, which yeah. you wouldn't think, but they, yeah. they're so great. Um Toronto, Vancouver. So there yeah. are a bunch of scenes yeah. that are really, really cool That's and great. fun. And so now it's you know, it's about breaking into markets that ne- like this was the first time I did Denver. This yeah. is the first time um How'd I did you like Austin. how'd you like Colorado? It was so fun. Yeah. It was good. really, really cool. And um I've been there a couple of times with my boyfriend and stuff, and I've always really liked Denver. Yeah. Um, so it's about maybe hitting those middle markets mm-hmm. more because it's just easier to fly Absolutely. to the coast yeah. and whatever. Yeah. So how then did you or when did you start transitioning into I'm going to write a book? Um, so I am a workaholic and, <laughs> which I'm sure, yeah, yep, yeah. I got you. And, uh, when I started out doing comedy, I had a day job. So I would do the day job and then I would go do an open mic or a show, maybe get done around midnight, go back home and do the, do the same cycle all over again. And I was just, 
because I, I studied writing in college. And I was thinking, you know, it might be kind of fun to just have a, a, a an outlet to blog or whatever and not have it be necessarily career dependent, but just more an exercise in me becoming a, a stronger writer. So I started this blog called Blaria, which stands for Black Daria. And this was <laughs> maybe 2010, 2011. And I was having a lot of fun doing it. And I was sort of like, you know, maybe I could write an essay collection because at the time I was really reading a lot of essay collections. Like I loved Mindy Kaling, mm-hmm. Tina Fey, all that stuff, Roxanne Gay. I was just thinking, that's really cool and I would love to do that someday. So that really sort of focused the blog. So I really became like, okay, three three days a week I am writing a blog post. It's got to be like 2,000 words. And I just really put myself in this own schedule. Of course, it was like unpaid. I wasn't making yeah, any money. Yeah. Um, but I just really kept sort of doing that. And I wrote this blog post about... I remember when Girls came out. And I wrote a blog post about it. And it was, I had a lot of feelings about the show. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of them were positive. And um, I remember Huffington Post was like, oh, we really like this article. Can we like reblog it on our whatever? Yeah. And of course, I didn't get paid for it. But I was so excited. I was like, this is really cool. Yeah. And I had a manager at the time. And I'm no longer with her. Um, and I told her, I was like, you know, like, I think writing could be another path for me and I really would like to write a book and she goes well you're not famous so no one would ever want to read a book by you oh my and I was thought oh okay well yeah there are a ton of non-famous white guys who have books about fucking nothing (laughs) (laughs) and I was just I think that's wrong and so a few months maybe like nine months later my lit agent Robert, he reached out to me. He hadn't We hadn't worked together yet. And he had heard about me, and he read my blog, and he goes, I think you're a, a writer. He's like, I'm pretty sure you already have a book deal somewhere, but if you don't, I would love to grab lunch and sort of figure it out. And I thought, this is the sign. Yeah. Like, I'm very much into signs. And so we met up, and he's amazing. He works at um, a great uh, um, publishing company in New York, and you know, he's queer, so he really likes to support women of color, mm-hmm. queer people, mm-hmm. and just people of color in general and get their stories out because he's like publishing is so white Absolutely. and male and straight yep. and your story is not often yep. told. Um, and we just really hit it off. And that really sort of changed my career trajectory where I, writing became this really huge part of whatever I do now. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And yeah. so tell me about the first book. Yeah. And then the transition to the second one. Yeah. So the first book you can't touch my hair and everything so I still have to explain I wrote a proposal which you had to do everyone has to do and you're just like this is so yeah it takes so much time and you second guess everything (laughs) Mm -hmm. and yeah it's the worst and then you're like does anyone want to read this exactly I don't know if I should write this but you 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 finish the, the the thing and then I remember I got last minute I got offered um a spot to do a late night spot on Seth Meyers. And I always want to do late night. Obviously I want to do when Letterman was on, but I was nowhere <laughs> near good enough for Letterman. Um, and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. And my lit agent was like, this is great. You can do this spot. And then the day after it airs, I'll just send out the proposal along with a link to your standup. So nice. people can see it. And I was like, this is great. Yeah. And I remember, um, 
pretty much everyone except for one publisher was just passed on me. They were like, she's not famous. They're like, she's right about the black experience. This isn't marketable. They're like, no one outside of America would ever read this book. It was just a lot of like, mm-hmm. no, like she, her voice isn't interesting yeah. or whatever. And then, um, so I ended up going with Plume, which is a division of Penguin, and they just totally got it, and they were really supportive, and they were they said that they thought it was so funny, and that you know, they're I'm speaking about a lot of things that a lot of people experience, yeah, um, and they were really great, but it was really interesting to be trying to shop your stuff around where everyone's being like. Basically, you being a black woman isn't marketable. And yeah. you're like, what? Yeah. It's very bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. That. Uh. And so what year was this? When this, this was, was 20. I sold it in tw- January 2015. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then how how was the response when the book came out? What was, like, what did that feel like? Yeah. It comes out into the world, and then how are people receiving it? It was really, I think what was really cool, because it came out October 2016, and... The Two Dope Queens podcast premiered April 2016. So it was really a lot of good momentum. Mm -hmm. And um, it ended up being on the bestsellers list for two weeks, which was really cool. Um, And so unexpected. I really wanted to make the list. But then when I got it, I was so With your first book. That's amazing. That's wild. Seriously. Yeah. Um, And it was really nice. A lot of people in the comedy community were supportive, like Carrie Brownstein Mm -hmm. and... I did this Amazon show with Kevin Bacon and he like read it and posted about it. And it was just like, you know, people you never think you would ever meet are now being so nice and warm and generous. And it was really cool. And I remember Robert, my lit agent, he called me and one of the people that like totally passed on me after the book came out, became a success, like emailed Robert, like, how come... You never sent this. Oh my gosh, yeah. I had the same yeah. thing happen. And the lit agent went and found the email yeah. where the person passed. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Oh my, sorry, I jumped your story. Yeah, no way, no. say what you were saying. Yeah, so how come you never sent this proposal to me? This was great. I would have loved to work on it. And he was like, I did, and yes. you passed. Yes. Yeah. It's so validating yeah. when you're like, hi, yeah, we did, you said no. Oh, it's yeah. so validating. So that was really cool. And it was. Really, it was it was nice to see because I think you don't really realize like how publishing isn't really reflective of a lot of people's voices until you like get in it and you go, oh, okay. Like I wanted to make sure I had a black woman be my publicist, and that Mm -hmm. was like really important to me because I wanted to make sure that like you know I'm writing about black hair and all this other stuff that's really important to the black communities. I wanted someone who really got it. Um, but it was really, really cool, and I, I had a lot of fun. It was the hardest. The second book was easier to write. The first book was really hard. Like, I was crying a lot. I was like, this sucks. Like, I'm not good enough. Because you're working through stuff that you're writing about or because the process sucks It's so just much. the process yeah. sucks, and it's just sort of, you know, how much did I – what was my book deal? It was, what, 25000 mm-hmm. and which is nothing. And yeah. so when I – I sold the book, and then when I started work on it, I started getting paid for it. I broke up with my boyfriend, and I had to move out. And I truly had no money because I was just freelancing and blogging. And so whatever little I got from my 
book advance was just so I could like move into an apartment yeah. and get furniture. And so it was really hard to sort of have to start over in a way where, I, you know, I thought this was going to be the person I was going to marry. It was yeah. going to be fine. Um, and so that felt really hard because I was 28. No, 30. I was 30. LOL. Wish I was 28. But <laughs> I was 30 and I felt like I was going backwards again. Mm. And I was like, I'm still in massive amounts of debt. And I'm writing this book that, you know, my take home for 25 grand is what? Yeah. 15? 15, yeah. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. So I'm like, okay, I'm not making any money doing this. I'm freelance blogging. I'm doing stand-up and no one cares. I'm 30. I should be a little bit more ahead of the curve. And so it really felt, I don't know, I just felt like, what am I doing? And so when the book was a success, that really felt good. And it felt like, okay, it was great to sort of follow through on my instinct. But it it was just really hard to sort of be in a place where you can't really support yourself. And you're like, well, I'm writing a book. Because that sounds dumb. It sounds sexy and like, oh, you must be raking in the millions. And you're like, no, I'm starving and eating Top Ramen. Yeah. It was really hard, but it it was worth it for sure. And then... So tell me, I I think it's a really important topic Mm -hmm. because if it's not something that you have, uh, if if it's not something that you're familiar with, explain the idea of you can't touch my hair. Yes. Because if we're going to talk about that title, I'm sure there are a lot of women listening who don't understand what you mean. So will you explain that? So black women's hair is very loaded in society. A lot of times, you know, different styles that we wear our hair in a, because they're not professional, not beautiful, what have you. And a lot of times, uh, white people will want to touch my hair. Yeah. Like, it's so cool. And I'm yeah. like, you, I'm not a zoo yeah. animal. Yeah. Um, and so it was really sort of a, a winky nod at, like, here's a, here's the thing you can't do. And I just sort of am explaining my life and sort of my experience as a young black woman growing up in America. Absolutely. And it was so fun to write. And I think it was really cool because people who aren't black read it and they're like, oh, I didn't realize this or that or this. And so that really made me look at certain things differently. Like I had an essay where I wrote about going on auditions for whether it's commercial or acting stuff. And a lot of it is like, I'm of course the best friend and I have no life and I have like a really pretty white friend and I'm just Mm -hmm. there for her and Mm -hmm. helping her live her dreams. There's, you know, and just all this sort of, very limiting ways or I'm like the sassy assistant who just loves dealing with my silly male boss. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of crap. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, and I think one of my best friends is African-American. So this is a narrative that I have come to understand over the last, you know, five years of being close with her. Um, And just think, and, and by the way, if you're listening to this, the fact that we don't know this exists as white women mm-hmm. is our privilege. Mm-hmm. The fact that nobody has ever come up to you as a white woman and touched your hair yeah. in the same way that you would touch a pet, like you said, yeah. is your privilege. And being aware of it hopefully changes your perspective of how to act. I always remember, oh my God, I like <laughs> five years ago, yeah. we we're having, we we're hosting Easter Sunday. We used to do this huge potluck for all our friends. So there's like a hundred people there. And an older woman in my family is there. And my best friend's older sister is there, yeah. who is the most beautiful woman you have ever seen and has the most gorgeous hair. Yeah. And I remember turning around like, it's slow motion, like my heart, like it's like a, <laughs> watching a crash in my head. Yeah. This older woman who doesn't understand any better, but that doesn't make it okay. Yeah. I'm turning around and I'm watching her 
go over to my friend and oh, it's just so beautiful. And she's, t- and I'm like, oh yeah. my, no, no, like so mortified, so mortified. This woman is in her 30s. Not that it makes a difference, but like, She's not a little girl. What yeah. are you doing? This is cr- I still remember this all of these years I later. It's just the the idea. Like I remember, we call my best friend Beans. Her name's Brittany. It's a yeah. long story, but we call her Beans. Um, Beans taking a picture at a big box store, yeah, <laughs> and posting it on social of the ethnic hair section. Mm-hmm. Like even the idea that it's divided away from the other yeah. hair care products is. Sorry, I know I don't even. This is not my topic to yeah. speak on, but it's crazy, and yeah. I'm sure because I knew the title of the book. This is what I dreamed about last night. Yeah. I dreamed about us having this conversation about. In fact, in my dream, it was, and I don't know why it was this, but maybe this is. You said sign, so maybe we're supposed to talk about um, the cultural appropriation mm. of someone doing a style that is traditionally another groups style like yeah. braids let's say like yeah. going to Coachella and you're putting on the Indian headdress and yeah. ju- it's sort of that same your privilege means that you don't understand how right. hurtful that is yeah especially when it is people who if a Native American wore that that would not be seen as high fashion you know mm, what I mean yeah 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 and so it's about what certain cultural markers mean depending on who's wearing it and so you know especially when it comes to hair like I it's not my favorite thing to see a white person with cornrows I'm not going to be necessarily up in arms about it but I am sort of and I do think about well you know there are some schools where it's like if a, a black mom shows up with like her hair like in a bonnet or whatever like she's not allowed to go like show up to the school looking like that so it really sort of makes me feel like well, if we're being sort of slighted for this and made to seem that we're less than human for wearing a hair like this, it doesn't, it feels kind of lame to see, you know, sort of like a Kim Kardashian wear cornrows and it's really cool and it's in Vogue yeah. magazine. That yeah. to me feels like, whoa, what happened? Yeah, that's a good point. There's so many black women I know who wear cornrows and yeah. I don't see them in Vogue. Yeah. You know? That's really interesting. Yeah. And what do you think that, what do you think that stems from? I think there is, I think in general, black culture influences so much of what pop culture is in America, whether it's music or it's, you know, fashion or, you know, even food. And I think there's a there's a hesitation to acknowledge our contributions. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it was really fun. I was talking to my boyfriend about... Um, uh, Elvis and you know, he's British, so he like he like kind of does. Like, I'm wearing wings because like he really loves wings, <laughs> and I'm like, babe, no one here gives a fuck about wings. <laughs> but I was talking to him about Elvis, and I was like, you know, it's just so interesting because I watch it and I go, he's kind of average. Yeah, I was like, there were tons of black dudes who could do that better than him. Like I, I just will never understand why anyone ever freaks out about Elvis. And he was like, well, you have to understand, like. You know, this is not right, but for white people, they this was the first time they were, like, really allowing themselves to see it. Yeah. And it was through Elvis. And he's like, that doesn't make it right, but he was like that. He broke it open in a way where white people were were able to receive it because they weren't being racist because a black person was mm. doing it. And he was like, but yeah, I don't think Elvis is that great, but... 
this music sort of got through to them because of him. And I was like, all right, I guess. But still, I'm like, mm, Elvis isn't great. <laughs> I was like, okay, no one cares yeah. that I think that. But, you know. Yeah. 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 So if you're listening to this right now mm-hmm. and you're like, whatever the process is, what is the posture to adopt as someone who is maybe understanding or hearing these things for the very first time? What is the posture to adopt? I think it's sort of you have to be in a place where you're like, I'm I'm going to listen. Yeah. And I'm not gonna be defensive. Yeah. Um and I always use the example for myself when it comes to like LGBTQIA plus issues. I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And instead of being like, well, I'm a good ally, I'm a good straight ally, and I'm like not do it's like just just listen. Mm-hmm. Cause there are things happening within that community that I'm not gonna know about mm-hmm. because I'm not a part of it. I am not queer. And so I think if you come from a place where you're being open and you're not taking it as a personal attack, but you're using it as an opportunity to grow and learn, because um, things are, as much as it seems like things are moving kind of slowly, things are changing yeah. all, fairly quickly. And I think you have to really also be mindful of ha- what privilege you have and of course, you can't undo the system, but I think if you do have whatever, whether it's like you have straight privilege or you're a white person, you have white privilege, using that to benefit other people as well, in addition to yourself, I think goes a long way. Yeah. And it's not about feeling guilty. It's not about feeling sort of sad. I, I would use this as an example. I was booking something and... People were pushing back on like, oh, we don't want this person. Like, they're like not famous enough, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter. We need to have plus size representation on this thing. And everyone was saying, no, no, no. And I was like, well, I'm not doing it if we're not also going to bring this person Mm -hmm. to the room. And I could have easily just been like, okay, you guys don't want it. Great. Mm hmm. I'll keep, I'm going to get paid. Yeah. So I'll keep moving. Yeah. But I was like, that's not what it's about. It's not about me getting in the room and then closing the door behind me. Yeah. It's about me getting in the room and being like, guys, come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think when you have those moments where you can sort of step up and you could do something that's going to benefit someone else and not just yourself, you have a responsibility to do that. Yeah. I love that. Do you follow Timothy Goodman? No, who's he's that? an artist in New York. Oh, cool! Uh, amazing. Like, uh, just as an artist, I've loved his stuff forever because he uses a lot with words, and I'm, you know, we're both writers, so I just love art with words. Anyway, he has posted a lot on social recently about his own pushback to people who reach out to him too, because he speaks a lot at design and technology and all of these things. And now he's posting his response, which is, "Thank you so much for asking me, but." I am a straight white man Mm. and there is not enough representation on these stages. So here is a list of 25 incredible artists who are people of color, who are LGBTQ, who are from other countries. Like these people would be so incredible. Please consider booking one of them and not me. That's cool. Um, Which always makes me think, I think about this a ton of wanting to get a list of speakers Mm -hmm. because I fought so hard to be a a speaker on a stage that's usually all men. Mm -hmm. So one of my really good friends is Trent Shelton. I don't know if you follow him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's African-American man, incredible 
incredible speaker. Yeah. And he and I have become friends because we're always booked on the same stage. It's me and Trent yeah. and 10 white guys. Right, of course. Always. You got your diversity. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you checked your box and it's always our joke like, okay, we know why you put us in this room. Don't worry. Once you give us the stage, we'll show you why we deserve to be mm-hmm. here. Um, but I always think that with speakers of what does it look like to create uh please don't talk what is what else is available there yeah um i got sorry i got off on a total tangent but i love that i love i love the idea that you have to fight for like that is the mantle i think of leadership and that is the responsibility if you've earned any kind of platform is who am i lighting the way for who comes behind me um i think we are so focused on this with our stages mm-hmm. that we have diversity on stage in terms of uh, LGBTQ, in terms of different ethnicities, in terms of different physical abilities. Mm-hmm. Because if you're if you are in my audience and you can't see someone who looks like you on stage, mm-hmm. then we're failing. Mm-hmm. Because when you see someone that looks like you achieving that, then I think you go, oh, maybe. Maybe I could have that too. Of course, absolutely. Um, it's a, it's just a good question, and I, I think this is, it's exactly what you said. It is a posture of like, I do not know the answers. We are going to fail at this so many times because we can't possibly know what someone else's experience is like. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. Mm-hmm. Um, Beans, who apparently is just getting all the shout outs in this episode. What up, Beans? <laughs> what up, Beans? She will die <laughs> that you just did that. Um, so she always says because she has been such an incredible gift in my life to ask questions. She's like, Rachel, I never care if you ask me questions. I only get pissed when people assume they know the answers. Mm-hmm. So just have a, of like, why? And yeah. how does that feel? And what, you know? Yeah. So anyway, sorry, we got off on no, all the tangents. That was great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I think, you know, especially now that I'm starting this production company with ABC Studios, what, what? Uh, which is very exciting. Ever heard of them? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so I, I called it tiny reparations and, um, it's really, I really sort of wanted to carry forward the mission of two dope Queens, which is, I wanted to have, you know, stories from women, people of color, queer people, and really have them be the leads and the heroes of their stories rather than the best friend, rather than like the assistant. And so, I mean, I think that is sort of like my next evolution as a, a person in this industry mm-hmm. is that. Yes, I have this cool platform for myself, but I want to open it up for other people. Yeah. And um, I have like an amazing, you know, Latino head of development. And it's just really cool that we're in this space and just sort of, you know, we're trying to just make it happen and yeah. have some different stuff out there. Do you get a lot of pushback on social? Like, do you feel like people are supportive of what you're doing or do you have oh, haters? I remember when Jess and I first put out Two Dope Queens, we get a lot of white guys sort of um, critiquing the way that we talk. Ooh. You use the word like too much or or sometimes white women be like, you, you talk about race too much. And we're just sort of thinking, well, this is our experience. Yeah, this is our experience. You know, so we get a lot of that. And I think that that really sort of have has gone away. Um, I think there's always a little bit of pushback. Like I remember when I... Um, Came out the trailer for so many white guys dropped. So this was probably twenty sixteen maybe, 
And it, it dropped on iTunes, and all these like white dudes went on there and just purposely like, yeah. gave it one star and like really tried to bury it. And I was called a bitch. I was called a c word. I hate white men. I'm terrible. How can the show exist? And I'm thinking, if you just listen to it, I'm just flipping the numbers. Yeah. So I'm talking to you know more diverse people yeah. than just me and a white guy. Yeah. And so if I'm talking to a Janet Mock, I'm not just like, so you're trans. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. I'm not doing that for an hour, which yeah. I've seen done. Um, but it really was this sort of awful, crummy experience where I'm like, people are upset that I'm just trying to even the playing field. Yeah. And, and I'm a monster because yeah. of that. And that felt really weird because I'm thinking, don't you want to hear from these cool people? Yeah. Don't you want to hear someone who doesn't sound like you yeah. and doesn't have your exact same experience? Yeah. I guess some people don't. Do you do you consume your comments on social? Like, are you um, in DMs or do you know? I don't really. That's yeah. why I'm just always curious how other people handle it. I mean, I will write, I will engage with people on Instagram because I, I feel like Instagram is super fun. In a way, for me, that Twitter isn't. Yeah. Because I'm barely on Twitter. Yeah, me too. But Instagram, you know, I think people are, tend to be a little bit kinder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, I haven't really had too many sort of problems on yeah. Instagram, which has been nice. But I definitely am a person who I don't read reviews of my stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm just going, I don't care. Yeah. I can't control like, it. Yeah. I also think it is crippling as a creator. Mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you're paying attention to what other people are saying or think of your work, it informs what you create next. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I, I, my thing is I don't consume. If you're not already following Phoebe on Instagram, you should be. <laughs> your posts make me pee my pants. Oh, watching. thank you. Like, particularly, <laughs> it's probably, you do so many other things, but particularly when you're just like reviewing a beautiful man. Yeah. I don't know another way to say it. Like, I don't think that I knew to follow Aquaman. Oh my God, Jason Momoa. Yes, you did that post. Girl. (laughs) He was like in the shower or something. And I was peeing my pants reading how you write what is happening in the. Uh, It was so funny. That clip is. Thank you, Jason. Pretty good. Thank you from all of us. We appreciate it. And they're just their beautiful family and their kids. It's like ridiculous. And he's like, he and Lenny are like best friends. I can't, so all sweet. of it, I can't handle all of yeah. it. Oh, Aquaman. <laughs> um, are, you a, are you a superhero kind of? Do you like those movies? I'm not a he- My boyfriend is a much bigger one. And so I, I got into, you know, sort of the Avengers of it all to just sort of keep up with yeah. it. I didn't watch all the movies. Yeah. He watched all the movies. But, you know, we went to go see Endgame in the theaters. He saw it by himself first because I wasn't in town. And then he was done. He was like, I wish I, I don't have anyone to talk to about it. <laughs> so then when I got back home, we watched it. And I was truly like in the theaters crying at the end, just yeah. being like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm not a huge yeah. comic book person, but it was really good. Um, I like Batman. The Christian Bale ones, the Ben Affleck yeah. ones are. Yeah, questionable. Yeah. What is your like, are you a movie person? And if so, I what, what am. is it? Like, I what's am. Your, are you the drama? Were you like drama? Do you still dream of writing that or creating uh, that? I mean, you know what I actually do kind of want to do? I really love 
doing I would love to do an action movie. I think that would be so fun. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, so do have you seen the John Wick movies? No, only in nine thousand memes because yeah. the internet Instagram <laughs> is obsessed with Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Obsessed. Yeah. I don't I think something happens to his dog. I yes. don't know. Yeah. Based on memes alone. That's yes. all I got. So the basic premise is his uh wife dies and like after she passes away or whatever, um, he gets a present in the mail and it was a dog. She had like got him a dog. And then some he pisses someone off and they beat him up and kill his dog. So now he it was a retired assassin. So now he's like back. He's back. He's back. Oh, man. And it's so ridiculous, but it's so fun. And the third one, Halle Berry was in it, and it was just so cool to see her be this badass, yeah. like beating people up. And I was like, "Oh, that'd be really cool." Yeah, that'd absolutely. be really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you just made me think of um, Ali Wong's movie on Netflix, I love where he Ali. all of a sudden it's just like Keanu Reeves is there. Yeah, so funny. <laughs> so, are you writing? movies are you as you build this production company is the idea that you'll write stuff or just produce yeah so right now the first the first thing on the docket is a 10 episode order of a talk show for comedy central um well, you're the host? I'm the host. That's incredible. Yeah, it's really cool. Oh, my gosh. Um, and the basic premise is that uh, because I'm such a workaholic, I don't know how to do kind of anything. Like, I can't ride a bike. I don't know how to drive. I can't swim. I've never gotten a tattoo. I'm afraid of heights. I can barely cook. And so there's all these things that I'm incapable. I'm not athletic. And so I want to sit down with different people, whether it's like a Jimmy Jamil or yeah. Michelle Obama. Yeah. And so it's part interview where you get to know them and then they teach me how to do yes. something that I don't know how to do. Um, so I'm really you're excited. like best friends with Michelle at oh, this point, I wish. right? <laughs> oh my gosh. She's oh the my. best. She's truly just the real deal. It's real. It's amazing. She's so inspiring. Um, so that would be like a really fun yeah, sort of Yeah, it sounds fun. It already show. sounds funny. Yeah. Like, are you going to actually try things? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I really that's do really want to try and get a tattoo. That for sure the, I want to do. I can tell you all the things. Yeah, I'm scared. What would you get? You two lyrics. Oh, uh, that's pretty. I Is like it? that. I okay. think so. Okay. Uh, so I only, I'm, words are really powerful and yeah. important to me. So yeah, I'm yeah. all about words. Okay, cool. And yeah. I think it, for me, tattoos are for yourself. They're mm-hmm. not for, sometimes I think people are trying to create something that's like, that the world will think is beautiful. Yeah. And I like, I want it to be what I need. Mm-hmm. And what lyrics would you do? I'm not sure yet. So I have, I have a couple in my head, but I really was never a tattoo person. Yeah. My boyfriend has a, Left arm is a sleeve with fish. Yeah. Um, and then on the right arm, he wants to get, he's designing his own Game of Thrones. Because wow. he's a huge Game of Thrones person. Okay. So he's designing a tattoo right okay. now for that. And he has a deer on his calf. He has, um his feet are tattooed. So he did like Ooh, stick poke That's what I just that. got. That yeah. Hurt. Yeah. That hurt a lot. I think he just likes the sort of, the process of yeah. it. And so he's trying to get stuff on his knees. So I just told him just to leave knees? his- Knees? Yeah, I that was like, feels painful. I I have video of it. So we were in London last year, and of her just doing yeah. the stick poke yeah. in the knee. Yeah, it was wild. Oh my god! Because you could see the skin like yank up oh a little bit. Oh my god! And there are definitely parts where he was like, oh, this yeah. Hurts. And then other times he was like, yeah, it feels it's okay. fine. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So tattoos, learning to cook. Yeah. Ride a bike. You said driving. I don't know how to drive. Whoa. I don't know how to swim. This is so I, this funny. Is serious. When do you all start? Taping or um, creating or so whatever? So we're, we're in the process of hiring a couple of staff writers right now. So I'm hoping that we can get, get 
get everything going next month. Yeah. Yeah. That's really yeah. exciting. Yeah, I'm pumped. So 2020 is a big year. Yeah. How does it feel you're you're stepping, uh, you know, just having watched your career in the last year or however long mm-hmm. I've been following you, you keep leveling up. Or at least oh, that's what thanks. it feels like yeah. from outside perception. You keep leveling up. What are the things that you're sort of carrying with you into every level mm. that are helping you feel prepared and capable yeah. of the workload and all the stuff? Yeah. So I guess this has been because I so I have employees now. I have three employees, yeah. which, you know, and last year I had like I went from no employees to three. And I think the biggest thing is I've learned how to be a boss. And I think a lot a lot of times people think when I'm in charge, it's going to be like, you know, I'm just going to be making money. And, take it. <laughs> so and I easy. wasn't like that, yeah. but it was definitely, you know, I sit down with my business managers and go over insurance packages and talk about medical leave and make sure NDAs are signed. Yep. And the other thing is sort of managing all your employees' expectations and making sure you have that one-on-one time mm-hmm. to make sure they feel valued and they feel nurtured. And so it's a lot of – it feels like even though they work for you, you kind of also work for them. 100%. And that's, yeah. I think, the thing that I didn't – really realize and then I was like oh okay so I make sure to do the check-ins and um make sure to encourage people's contributions yeah. and all those things where it just it is so much more collaborative I do think I feel the most pressure because it's my face and my name absolutely and no one's going to care about it as much as I do absolutely um but it's, you know it's delegating and letting other people into the fold mm-hmm. and that sort of thing I mm-hmm. think has been the biggest lesson and I think it's allowed me to sort of level up and be able to take on these new yeah. sorts of responsibilities even if I don't have a lot of experience doing it prior to that mm-hmm. I feel like I've become a, a good or a quick learner because I can sort of just be in the moment and be like okay this is going to be a place where I have to learn yeah so it allows yeah. you to be open I think yeah. yeah well and I think um there's a there's a guy named Chris Hogan I'm not sure if you're familiar yeah. with him but he he has this quote that I love he says a boss will help you get good at your job mm. a leader will help you get good at your life Mm, right? And I so I, I, I do think for those of you who are listening, because we have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen or or leaders in business, um, one of the things that we tend to obsess over is like, how is this person performing mm-hmm. in a way that supports the team or in a way that supports me? But being a leader is truly caring about the person. Yeah. And I think for us, and by the way, being a leader sucks most days. Like, let's just yeah. call it. It's hard. Yeah. It's humbling. It you, If you, especially once you have more than one employee, it's like, I think it's like being a mom. Like one kid is fine. You're yeah. like, I'm doing this. Yeah. And then the next day they're like, oh, Ford punched someone in the face at school. You got to do And you're like, oh my Lord. So yeah. I think it's the same with a team. Mm-hmm. The amount of books I have read, podcasts I'm obsessing over being a good leader. And I feel like that's something I will carry with me for as long as I'm in business Mm -hmm. because there's just so many ways to grow in that. The fact that you, those are recent hires, but you're still, you're already in that mindset. I feel like you're jumping the line. 
Yeah, and it's just a, a lot of like, you know, sometimes whether it's my assistant Amanda or my office coordinator, my, they will have a good idea and I would make sure in an email to be like, oh, Amanda's ha- brought this idea. I think that's really great and I think it's important to give that credit. It's yeah. of course like, it's all, it all doesn't really matter because it it's all, we're all working together, mm-hmm. but those moments allow the person to be like, oh, I'm being I'm seen. I'm seen. Yeah. yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we know for our, do you know your Enneagram number? Do you know what that is? What's that? Uh, so it's, a, I'll, I'll text it to you. So Ooh. Enneagram is this personality test that has existed since ancient Greece. Cool. So it's like different personalities by number. And I'm always fascinated by it. But as a leader, it's really powerful. Okay. So everyone here, we know their number and we know their love language Ooh. so that we know how to acknowledge them. Like some people are acts of service or words yes. of affirmation. And that way you can acknowledge them in a way that really is meaningful to them. Yes. So anyway, just so. I love that. I That's been my thing as I'm learning love languages. So my, she uh, is my first employee. We've been working together a little over a year now. And I am, I don't, you might have seen her on my Insta stories. I think I've seen yeah, her on she's your so Insta stories, cute. Yeah. And I'm very effusive. And she's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, at first, I would take it personally. And then I realized, oh, her love language is acts of service. Mm-hmm. So she'll just be really on top of everything. We'll think of stuff before I even think of it. And, like, that is her way of showing that she cares. Yeah. Whereas I'm just like, words, 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 yeah, shouting yeah, yeah, words. Yeah. Give and me then, all the praise. Yeah. yeah. And so then I, I, I realized, I'm like, oh, we express our affection for each other differently. But yep. does it mean that she doesn't like me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it's like we... We tend to give love the way we like to receive it. Mm-hmm. So then, especially if you are in a romantic relationship with someone who's totally opposite than you, yeah. then you're like, I I did that thing. And you're like, but I want, this is my husband's acts of service and I'm words of affirmation. Mm. So he'll be like, I did these three things. And I'm like, I want you to tell me I'm pretty. Yeah. That is what I'm looking <laughs> for right now. So yeah. I feel yeah. like it's a really powerful thing as a leader as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Man. That I've, I've like talked your ear off over this time is today. Great. Thank you so much yeah. for coming in. It's been, I don't know, like Aww. six months of back and forth yeah. to finally get to meet face to face. It's incredible to watch what you're doing and what Thank you'll do you. next. And I know if you're a wor- workaholic and yes. you're working really hard, <laughs> that that can, that's a lot to carry. And especially now you're growing this team and you have these yeah. big opportunities. So we see you and we're supporting you and we're just rooting oh. for the freaking best for you this Thank year, man. Thank you. I like what. I mean, to see, I walk into this office, you guys, and I was like, okay, <laughs> Chip and Joanna Gaines are up in here. Where's that ship lab? <laughs> Next building. Yeah. Next building, yeah. No, but it's so cool and badass to see. I just like anytime I walk into an office and it's, all women. I'm yeah. like, yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's so cool. It's Thank great. you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so if people are listening to this, where can they hang out with you online? Yes. Instagram, dope queen Phoebs, P-H-E-E-B-S. I'm also at that on Twitter. And you can also listen to Two Dope Queens and So Many White Guys podcast um, while you're waiting for the talk show to come out next year. Also watch, you know, watch Two Dope Queens on HBO so we can get those residual checks. <laughs> LOL. Um, I don't have any movies coming out currently, but I was in Ibiza on Netflix <laughs> and uh, What Men Want, which 
has been playing on airplanes. So if you happen to be on Delta, <laughs> get get yeah. some of that. Yeah. <laughs> and the books. Oh uh, yes. Uh oh yes, this is exciting. Okay, so everything's trash, but it's okay. It's coming out on paperback October 15th. Oh, that's great. Yeah, really, really cool. And then um, you know, you can't touch my hair has already been on paperback for a couple of years. Yeah. So it's available, ebook, audiobook. Um, if you want to get the audiobook of Everything's Trash But It's Okay, that's also cool because the last essay I I do with my boyfriend, British Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, okay. we talk about how we met, which was oh, at a YouTube fun. concert. So I you know. You two coming back. I it's know. your thing. Bono has, he, so Have I, met him? I, I know Bono uh, loosely. Very <laughs> sweet. He's so wonderful and lovely, but I went um, to Copenhagen last year for my birthday and Big Off was like, why are we <laughs> flying overseas to see this man? Uh, so we went to a couple of concerts, and then the two of them got to meet afterwards, and it was, like, truly the cutest. Like, it was like, oh, my God. Like, my heart and vagina exploded. It was <laughs> so exciting. But Bono blessed our relationship. He, like, loves my boyfriend. So, I was so like, it's oh, good. Yeah. yeah. So it's that's no. all you need. It's, it's just like, need. yeah, God, Bono. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Thank you yeah. so much for coming. Thank and I appreciate you, it. Rage. Yes, of course. <laughs>